Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse and created by the team at the Sober Network. The Sober Network is engaged in revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy. We are continually proving that technology, along with incentivized human accountability, provides measurable and positive outcomes. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Welcome to the Sober Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse, and we'd like to take a minute to get the word out about one of our sister companies, Sober Life Apparel, where positivity and pride pave the way to a brighter, healthier future. Go to S-O-B-R-L-I-F-E. That's right. We leave off the E in sober. That's S-O-B-R-L-I-F-E dot com and check out our new store. Our sober celebrity guest today is Don Kelly. I am exceptionally excited to have Don on the show because I have known Don uh, since I was a little boy in Beaumont, Texas. He was friends with my parents, and he um, constitutes two firsts for me. He was the first out gay man man that I knew, and then later uh, the first gay sober man uh, that I knew. And Don started his journey in sobriety May 30th, 1982. So he has 41 years of sobriety and he's probably our first guest to have that um, long of a sober track. He is a retired executive director of the Southeast Texas Planning Commission and has made a tremendous impact for the LGBTQ plus community with his collection of rare documents helping Others understand the history of gay people. The Don Kelly Research Collection of Gay Literature and Culture was acquired by Texas A&M University in 2015. Welcome to Sober Podcast, Don. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And yes, I've known you a long time. My first uh, introduction, you were playing in Oliver. You were the star of the show. And if I remember correctly, I might, might have been sitting next to your father, who was so proud of you up on the stage. I think and now, you. And now he's gone to New York and kept the uh, uh, kept the credits uh, rolling and uh, doing some wonderful work. Oh, thanks, Don. And um, you have done some amazing work, uh, both uh, before and after sobriety. And the sober community has made tremendous leaps since you got sober. What was it like getting sober in 1982 in Texas? Well, it was it was in Beaumont, uh, Texas. Uh, uh, I uh, uh, didn't know much about alcoholism because I grew up in an Irish Catholic family in Chicago, and we frankly never heard the word. I never heard the word alcoholic. It was always uh, he's too drunk or he just can't hold his winker liquor, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of a thing. And until I saw the wonderful movie uh, The Lost Weekend with Ray Milan. I said, uh, well, that's probably what I, what I am. But anyway, uh, I uh, there are wonderful treatment programs in Beaumont of all types, but I just went to a 12-step program and just uh, went to two or three meetings a day and, and, and did it that way. Uh, uh, I was a bench drinker so uh, and played a lot of sports uh, drinking heavily, so uh, I was not the same circumstances as someone that drank uh, heavily every day. Right. But when I did drink, when I did drink, I blacked out. Uh, it was certainly alcoholic, and I was alcoholic as, as, as from a teenager. 
As a gay man, did you go through different obstacles when you first got sober? I mean, was that ever a problem? Uh, well, the the obstacle was um, you feel like you're different going to the meeting because you go to a meeting and most of the people are straight people. Most of the people are people that uh, you know with in that small town uh, professionally or from a business standpoint. So it's, it's, uh, you're a little hesitant about talking about uh, uh, one's sexual life or any giving any sexual identification. Mm-hmm. I was openly gay. I did it, but uh, but uh, talking about it uh, as a share in a meeting uh, is something else. Uh, on this, there are a number of people would use the queer uh, word um, many times, and uh, uh, I remember one meeting. I got up and I, uh, which was not, which was queer, by the way. Queer, uh, queer this or queer that. And I said, I happen to be a gay man, and I'm also sitting next to a man that has a gay son who is HIV positive. And uh, because you just, uh, you know, just watch your language. As it turned out, the the gentleman uh, uh, responded and actually apologized and made amends to me following the meeting. Wow, that's great. That's like that's sobriety in practice, and and of course you said queer, and of course in those days queer was derogatory, and now uh, uh, very much, right. very very derogatory, very right, derogatory. right, and now of course it's a, it's a it's a it's a term we we took a, could, could, took control of and embrace. Um, and I wanted to discuss. Well, first of all, um, we. Uh, on this show often have topic-based interviews and given your background I thought a great topic for you is uh, being of service to others in sobriety and in your professional life and then and then after you retired as you have had a series of jobs in which they were volunteer and service oriented and how has us how, how did sobriety affect that part of you of well, giving back uh, to others. Frankly, uh, when I was working, uh, uh, the the addiction sort of burned me out uh, professionally. Uh, but once I got sober, it was a whole new re- renewal uh, in this. So it uh, uh, sobriety affected me greatly. It was sort of like uh, being young again and uh, and um, and and uh, having bright horizons and and uh, just renewing oneself uh, from a professional standpoint. Uh, I'm totally devoted to service. That's been my my whole life. I was uh, I was a public servant, as as you've mentioned, for my entire career. And uh, the twelve step program, putting a premium on service, uh, just was made to order for me. And I and, and the spare time that I have these days, um, I could be doing a lot of things. I could be a docent at a museum here. We have a wonderful museum of fine arts. I could be an usher in a theater and sit down and see a free play. I could work in a wonderful medical center here in Houston. But I, uh, uh, at 83, uh, I, I know there's not much time in the out, not much sand in the hourglass on the upper floor. <laughs> I, I find that I can make my biggest difference. It's life or death and, and getting sober with people. So I, I feel very fulfilled in doing that. And uh, I, I spend seven days a week doing it, and it doesn't tire me out. And uh, I don't think it's a one-dimensional thing. Uh, it's just something I really enjoy. I've seen miracles happen. I've seen uh, a, a lot of people die as well. Uh, but uh, I've seen so much good about it. Uh, uh, it's, it's a very fulfilling time of my life. In fact, the, the nice, I've lived a blessed life, and this is really the best, the best years of my life. 
And that's fortunate because of uh, getting sober 41 years ago, uh, I've put a premium on good health and exercise and good diet and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm pretty mobile and, and at, at 83 without any major uh, health issues. That's great. And I want to discuss your um, background and contribution to the LGBTQ plus community. When did you, and specifically the um, what I mentioned earlier in the interview, the Don Kelly Research Collection of Gay Literature and Culture that Texas A&M University acquired in 2015, when did you start collecting rare documents pertaining to the gay community and why? Well, I've always had an interest in gay literature, and I had a, a personal collection that was great. And in, in retirement, I, uh, uh, I just one thing led to another and had a wonderful personal collection. Then I realized I had so much, and I had spent so much money on it, uh, I needed to uh, uh, donate it or, or get some uh, revenue from it. Uh, and I put an ad in the uh, gay Harvard uh, Gay and Lesbian Review, a full-page ad. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't any responses from that, uh, but I did get a call from the University of Texas. They have a wonderful archive there, and they said they were interested in some of the uh, material, but not all of it. I'm enough of a collector to know that when you dispose of a collection, it's, uh, you know, dispose of it all rather than cherry pick it. Right. So A&M, uh, universities are ranked on how gay friendly they are. And, uh, uh, A&M is a world class university, uh, but it was 99th out of the 100 top universities as far as being gay friendly goes. And gay friendly is a big, uh, factor in, in rating universities. So, um, I, uh, they initially bought some of the collection. I gave whatever money back to them and uh, uh, given over a million dollars of my own personal funds uh, uh, to enhance the collection. It's one of the, uh, uh, it has one of the greatest breadth of, uh, of material uh, of any collection in. It's got themes and comics and it even has a lot of homophobia literature, which is unusual because I wanted to show how uh, 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 terrible uh, gay people were treated, particularly the years I was growing up, in the 50s and the 60s. There was some very vile literature that was published at that time. Yeah, no, I think that's important to, um, you know, that's, it's, it's kind of, kind of like in sobriety when you, when you do an inventory and you, you've got to look at the good and the bad. And, um, I think you're, you're right in including that. In the collection. And you know what, Don, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. Everyone stick with us. We'll be back in a few seconds. Hi, everyone. Nate Kelly here, producer of the Sober Podcast. Head over to SoberPodcast.com for more information on the show and for a library of all of our past episodes with your favorite sober celebrities. All of our episodes are available in both video and audio format. And you can also register as a guest and apply to be featured on the podcast. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and for continuing to support both the Sober Podcast and our Sober Network. Jamie, back to you. Let's get back to our desks, uh, our guest, not our desk, uh, but I am at my desk. Uh, we are talking to Don Kelly. And Don, does your involvement with the um, LGBTQ plus community uh, coincide with your sobriety? 
would you say, in any way? Oh, uh, very much. Uh, in Boma, when I was uh, uh, getting sober and everything, I was on the founding board of the uh, our AIDS uh, organization there called the Triangle AIDS Network. I know of it we, very well. We we brought in speakers from uh, from Houston. I had a lot of uh, 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 gay uh, men that were kind enough to come over and talk on their respective uh, fields of knowledge, whether it's social work or on literature. Uh, on this, and uh, um, uh, so uh, yes, uh, the, uh, the I've always been an activist. I've all, 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 always been open about my sexuality, uh, even even when I was working in a, a fairly conservative part of the country. But people were good to me because uh, I, I I was open, and uh, uh, I, I um, uh, they trusted me for my honesty. I think that's amazing because. Um, you know, and I, I touted you, uh, for one gay pride, uh, on, on one of my TikTok videos as one of my personal gay heroes because, as I said at the beginning of this, you were the first out gay man that I knew, but also let's just talk about the fact that it was in a, in Beaumont, Texas in the 1970s, which was a, you know, a, a conservative town and it was also the 1970s when most people yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not out, uh, publicly. So I, I really think you're a pioneer, uh, in that regard. And I, I applaud you for that. So. Well, well, thank you. I, and I did see the, your wonderful TikTok, uh, 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 feature. And I was very proud of that. And I feel the same way about you. I'm, you know, we, we pass the torch on to the next generation and, and you pick that torch up and, 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 and done exceptionally well in, in, uh, in the arts and, uh, and uh, other types of service, including this one. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And how has, I mean, uh, so you've got 41 years of, of uh, sobriety. How has it changed over the years, and how has uh, being a person who is of service to others and believes in giving back, how has that uh, kept you sober? Well, it's, it's given me uh, more compassion in my life, uh, I, and uh, it's, uh, I, there, there's some people that are very difficult uh, that come into uh, 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 into um, into recovery, and uh, it gives me more patience uh, with them and uh, and more compassion for them because I can feel the can feel the suffering for that. I, I think that's also a natural uh, tendency as you grow older on that. Uh, you should have more compassion for uh, people people that are struggling on this. But compassion is a big thing with me. Um, you know, we're taught uh, to be loving and tolerant, and to me, that's the, the best definition of, of compassion. Yeah, that's that's a great definition. It's, 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 a, it's a spiritual journey. Uh, it's, it's it's not only the physical journey of getting people sober. Uh, there's a big spiritual aspect to that. And, uh, and that uh, is, gives me great comfort. And all, over all these years, were you ever, um, did you ever come close to relapsing? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Jane, I missed. I said, in, in the, and since you've been sober, have you ever come close to relapsing? Uh, uh, no. Uh, it's, uh, I did have an initial relapse. 
before my 41 years, which lasted a three-year period. Ah, and mm-hmm. that, that just took me down, and uh, I was uh, got a DWI, and it was embarrassing because I was working. Uh, my work took me with the, with the state legislature here, and I was working with the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which were making more severe um, uh, legislation, more, more consequential. Uh, for uh, uh, people that uh, were found guilty of that, right? And when I when I got the uh, the DWI, says what a hypocrite I am working with these mothers that may have had a spouse or a son or a relative or a friend uh, killed in a drunk driving accident, and he- and here um, uh, I'm uh, I have one myself, and and that was one of the the strongest uh, uh, got my attention that. Uh, I, 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 many times I thought I was a functional alcoholic, yeah. doing a good job, getting things done, but I was able to step in and out of it. I did not look at alcoholism as a disease, and it is a disease, and you just can't uh, rationalize yourself out of that. Well said. You, um, and some of the material you sent us, you brought up the t- uh, topic of aging and sobriety. Would you say you've struggled with getting older in sobriety, or or, or how have you dealt with, with aging? Uh, not at all. It's the best years of my life. Uh, uh, older people in sobriety are more or less venerated to some extent uh, for a number of reasons, not only for the term of sobriety, but also for the wisdom they have on this. And I found a great validation of, of my life and of my age, uh, uh, staying in active recovery programs on that. So, uh, and that uh, has not bothered me one, uh, one whit at all. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember this as I, as I age, because I, I would love to, um, to age with that outlook. What is the best lesson? And this is a this is a final question we we ask all of our guests. What is the best lesson you've learned in sobriety, and how did it help you? Well, the best lesson is uh, uh, the most important thing in life is to love. And in, in sobriety, you not only love other people, but you also have to accept love yourself. And so, the best lesson is a two way street. It's not a one way street. And for not for a person not to have found some love in their life, uh, they're really not living life. Um, and um, I hope everybody and you will in recovery find love, and you will be able to accept love from others in order to stay uh, stay sober. So uh, love is the answer. Um, <laughs> Woody Allen, one of his famous phrases, said, "Love is the answer." But along the way, sex uh, asks him a lot of interesting questions. But love is the answer. Love is the answer, and that's we're. That's a great way to uh, to end this interview. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Jamie. Your good work. We're all proud of you. Your well, mom and dad be proud of you. Thank and, you. Um, thank keep you. Carrying the mes- keep carrying the message. Thank you. Stick with us for a second. To all our listeners, thank you for your continued support. Visit us on SoberPodcast.com and all places where you find major podcasts to leave us a review and sign up for our mailing list. You will also find the contact information in the show notes for our guest, Don Kelly. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook every day where I tell a true story in high heels. Signing out from the Sober Podcast. Tune in for another show next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Sober Podcast. 
We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories or at soberpodcast.com. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us at soberpodcast.com. You can also reach out to us on our social media platforms in the Soberverse. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. Jamie Brickhouse, our host. Chrissy Senepal, our social media manager. Our sponsor, Dr. J and the Sober Network. And me, I'm your executive producer, Nate Kelly. Join us next Saturday for another story of hope and resilience with a notable sober celebrity. And until then, remember that we here at the Sober Network are driven by our mission to help people get sober and stay sober. Bye for now.